It's great to have you here today. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and uh, about six, seven times a year, I get an opportunity uh, to speak, and I always enjoy doing it. And I, I think I have an advantage, though, because I don't have to do it every single weekend, and so I, I don't envy uh, Pastor Aaron. I realize how difficult this is to do it every week. I usually have like a couple of months that I have a lead time on knowing <laughs> that I'm speaking. So, but then the expectation is it should be a lot should be to the next level, right? If, if I have that long to prepare, but we'll see. We'll see what happens today. Um, it's great to have you here today. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. It's, an, it's okay if it's on your smartphone too. That's it's not any less holy. It's okay. You can open it up there too. Uh, but we're going to spend some time on this passage of Scripture. And so um, if you want to just leave it open, that's pretty much, that's the only one that we're going to put on the screen or anything. And we're kind of going to camp out there and come back to it a little bit. So you may want to keep that open. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. It's going to be on the screen too. It says this, Not long after that, Jesus went to the village Nain. His disciples were with him along with quite a large crowd. As they approached the village gate, they met a funeral procession. A woman's only son was being carried out for burial, and the mother was a widow. When Jesus saw her, his heart broke. He said to her, don't cry. Then he went over and touched the coffin. The pallbearers stopped. He said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead son sat up and began talking. Jesus presented him to his mother. Then it says, they all realized they were in a place of holy mystery, that God was at work among them. They were quietly worshipful, then noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back, looking to the needs of his people. The news of Jesus spread all through the country. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you that we can come here together and, and learn more about you and learn more about your ways. God, I just pray that your word would be illuminated in our hearts today and that the same compassion and love that you poured out 2,000 years ago, as we read about in this story, God, that we would feel and sense that same love here today, that it's for us, it's for us right now. Bless our time together. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed that kids overreact? Anybody ever notice that? Yeah. Who has kids here? Would you just raise your hand? Okay, because you have to know that kids tend to, like little details become a huge deal with little kids. I have three kids of my own, and one of them's nine months old, so we're going to let him off the hook on this because he, you know, he's not, I don't quite hold him to the same standard. Uh, but my four-year-old and six-year-old, it's like everything is, everything that I would consider just like this is a minor detail, they think it's a huge deal. And I'm thinking, you should wait till you have a mortgage. Wait till you have some responsibility. You know, that's what I want to say, but, I, you know, I don't, I don't do that. I don't expect that out of them. But everything is a big deal uh, with them. It's a, it's a huge deal. Let me give you a few examples. This is, this is always therapeutic for me. I enjoy just kind of hear, hearing all this. This is what's going on in my world. Uh, no, but they, a few examples. One is that um, there's an area at, at, the, at this campus of Life Church that some of you know about. It's kind of like a secret little area that a few volunteers get to go to from time to time. Some of you probably know what I'm talking about, but there's an area that has a variety of different kinds of mints. Okay, does anybody, anybody know about this area that you've seen? You've seen the Holy of Holies. You've seen this little area that is just does it. And we, we have a philosophy at Life Church that life is better and um, 
church is better when we have volunteers that don't have kick and breath. And so we say, you know what? We're going to make mints available. There's three different kinds of mints. I don't know why it's such variety is there, why we decided we, but apparently we started it that way. And so now we just have to keep this going that we have these variety of different mints. I say all that to say that every time my kids are at church, and I mean every time, it doesn't even matter if it's like a Monday or Thursday randomly, they, right when they see me, first words out of their mouth, almost without exception, it's not Hi, Dad, I love you. Or, Dad, you look so nice today. You look so good. You're so good looking. Thank you for making me good looking, too, passing that on to me. No, they don't say what you expect. They say, can I have a mint? Every time, without fail. In fact, this morning, same thing. First thing out of their mouth, can I have a mint? And so um, about nine times out of ten, I'll say yes. I'm like, it just makes their day. It's just exciting to me because I'm like, man, who knew that a mint could make somebody so happy? And, but every now and then, about, you know, again, once out of every 10 times, I'll say no. And sometimes it's just arbitrary. Sometimes, sometimes it's just because I don't know why we do the things we do as parents sometimes, but sometimes it's just I don't like the way you ask me. I, I, just, I just felt like you were demanding, like, give me a mint. Uh, no, absolutely not. And so every once in a while, I'll shut it down and just say, no, you can't have a mint. And uh, my kids, you know, they, they react really favorably when I say that, they say, you know what, I understand, Dad, That's, that makes sense. Because most of the time you say yes, and I probably should have asked a little bit better. I'm just not, a, next time I'll do better, and, and, and then maybe I'll get a mint because I'm going to be, they don't, okay, they don't react like that at all. In fact, my four-year-old, who's one of the most dramatic little boys you'll ever see in your life, he literally just goes like this, right when I say no, huh, why, like hunched over, like this. And I, I want to say, oh, man, that makes me want to give you a mint so bad. You know, let, let me go get one for you real quick. What an awesome reaction. Or it's always, it's, it's why. I'm like, just because. You ever say that? You always hated that as a, as a kid when your parents would say, just because. Because I'm your dad. Because I'm your mom. I find myself saying those types of things um, lately as well. But another time that I'm beginning to despise um, not, despise is a pretty strong word, but I strongly dislike uh, the bedtime ritual lately because bedtime is chaos at my house. And, and it's usually me. I, I usually break the news, you know, right at 8 o'clock, somewhere in that ballpark. I guess we don't have like a, like a set time. It's kind of what we're feeling that day. Sometimes it's 8.30, sometimes it's 7.30. During the school year, it's a little bit more regimented, but in the summer, a little bit. Just I, I just... I, I want two hours of alone time. I, I want two hours. Me and your mom want to hang out and watch TV. And so we're going to go to bed. And so every time, and I, we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, my, my oldest is six. And so I do the math on that. 365 days, a couple of leap years in there as well. It's over 2,000 times that the day has come to this pinnacle of it's time to go to bed. And you would think after 2,000 times that, that you'd understand, okay, I probably shouldn't even fight this. This is just going to happen. But no, every time. Why? I'm not even tired. Oh, I forgot that bedtime was when you're tired. Um, no, it, it's not that at all. It's just, I'm, I'm telling you, it's time to go to bed. And, and so it's this big, drawn-out thing. And then they try, to, they try to drag it out. You ever notice that? They try to drag it out as long as possible. So first it starts with pajamas, you know, like, 
Let's put up a fight about pajamas. I don't want to wear that. I, wanna, I, I forgot how to put pajamas on. I, I think they intentionally put it on backwards sometimes just to be like, oh, my bad. You know, a little two extra minutes or brushing teeth becomes this big thing. I forgot how to do it somewhere. You know, I just, all this stuff. And then it's how many Bible stories are we going to read? Only one? Dad, why? It's the Bible. It's <laughs> learning about Jesus. We should, let's read seven. Wouldn't that be... No, we're reading one, and then it's, they, they pray. I think they pray as long as possible, just to, just to drag it out, and I'm sitting there. It's hard for me, because I'm like, it's a good thing they're praying, but I'm like, wrap it up, land the plane. It's, you don't have to, it's always, my, my son prays for future things. Thank you that we get to go to grandma's house in a week, and I'm like, okay, let's just focus here for a second. And then, and then all the kids are asleep, or in their bed, I should say. That's not, not asleep. They're in their bed, and then you hear just a wailing out of one of the bedrooms, and you're like, like not crying, but like, Mom, Dad! I'm like, what, what happened? And then I go in there and find out they need a cup of water. You know, they, they need a glass, of, they need a drink. And it's just on and on it goes. So anyway, this is, I get a few things on my chest this morning. But uh, they overreact about so many different things. I'll give you one, one real quick example. My daughter had her first real sleepover, and I say real sleepover because it wasn't a cousin. It wasn't a relative, and so it's like more official when it's a friend from school, and so she had this friend over, gets to about 9.30 at night, and everything's going well until her friend misses her parents. I don't know if you've ever gone through this as, as a parent. Had a, the sleepover came to a crashing halt, and her parents ended up coming and getting her, and so right after that all happened, my daughter, she's trying to stay strong. She's trying to, you know, be a good friend. And then right when her friend leaves, she just breaks down. I mean, just agony, real tears. I mean, it was as if I told her that I was going to release her to the wild. Like, you're, you're, you're on your own now. You know, it was like this huge deal to her. And I, I asked the question, why do kids overreact? Like, it's just true of any one of your kids. They all overreact to, to these little things. It's, it's something that is just in their DNA. And I think it's real simple that they overreact because they just don't have perspective. They haven't lived enough life. They really sometimes can't see beyond this moment right here, right now. They don't know if tomorrow's coming or not. I mean, sometimes in, in some respects, it'd be good to live life a little bit that way, but it's sometimes unhealthy to think, you know what, it's, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. If you don't get a mint, I mean, it's going to be okay. If your friend goes home, there's a lot of other times for that. And if I wasn't a very loving parent, I probably would have said to May, you know, my daughter, I would have said, seriously, you're going to cry over your friend going home? Big deal. You know, it, there's plenty of opportunities that you're going to have to have sleepovers. It's pretty common. It happened to me before when I was a kid. Seriously, stop crying. Go to bed. I don't want to hear another word about it. Now, that's maybe what you think, okay? That's, that's what's going on up here. But in that moment, it's just, you know what? She doesn't know. She, this is really a big deal to her. So you, you let her cry. You hold her. You encourage her. You say all this. At a certain point, yes, we do need to stop crying and move on. Life does move on. But in this moment, just being there for her was a, was a big deal. And that's what I see kind of going on here in this story in Luke chapter 7. Because Jesus has... Uh, he, he has perspective that none of these people have. He knows that he's about to raise this boy from the dead. He has a perspective far greater than these people, yet he doesn't use that in a, in a, in a, a way of, um, of belittling or saying, seriously, don't you even trust me that I, I'm going to take care of it? He doesn't do any of that. He has an immense amount of patience, and he simply just loves 
this woman, this widow who has lost her son, her only son. He simply just loves her and shows compassion in that moment. And I think that there's a, there's a few things that we can glean from this story. Um, and, and there's a few different aspects that Jesus, of Jesus' love that he shows here in this story. I just want to point out just a few of them. There might be more that maybe you find out later as you're reading through, but these are the ones that I kind of found as I was reading through this story, just the different characteristics of Jesus' love. And before we jump into those, I, just, I think there's two kind of filters that we can um, listen to this through. One, and I think they're both, I think it's a both and, we should look at it from both perspectives. One, I think it's healthy that as Christ followers and as maybe you're not a Christ follower today, that we just take moments just to realize how much God loves us. I think that's healthy to do that. In fact, I think that was one of the entire points of the Bible of giving us God's word so that we can look back on it and be reminded how much he loves us. That's a good thing because once we realize how much he loves us, it makes us stop trying to earn it because there's nothing that we can do to earn it. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. I think it's healthy that, that, we, that we just take a moment today. If anything that you hear out of this message, just be reminded how deep, how wide, how great is God's love for you. But I think there's a second part of it that um, I think application, or excuse me, inspiration like that without application, I think is, is a little bit pointless. I think it has to move us um, to act. And so, uh, you know, I think this is healthy for us to look at is how much does my love for other people line up with Christ's love here in this story? And while I know that we might not ever hit that level of love, because there, there's just a different level. I mean, the, the Bible, Bible says God's ways are higher than our ways, and his love is higher than our love. So I don't know, we're, we're never going to reach quite that level of love. But we are created in the image and likeness of God. So as a result, as Christians, we're supposed to resemble Christ's love. At least, there, there, we should at least show a little bit. We, we should at least resemble the love of Christ in the story. And a challenging thought for us today is, does my love resemble this kind of love when it comes to loving people in, in my world. So if you're taking notes, we're going to put all these on the screen. There's, I have five of them for you today. Jesus' love is sensitive. That's the first one that we see here in this story. Jesus' love is sensitive. And if, reading back the story a little bit, you see that there's two crowds going on here. There's one crowd that's coming from a funeral. So you can imagine kind of the mood uh, going on with that crowd. And then you see a crowd who's just pumped up. They're seeing Jesus perform miracles. They're, it's like a bandwagon. They are just pumped up, excited, ready to go. What's he going to do next? There's this expectation. And so there's these two crowds that are literally about to intersect, are about to collide. And Jesus, I think it would have been easy to just kind of walk past. You know, like if you saw a funeral procession, I think every one of us, our, our natural instinct would be, I think I'm going to turn down this side street, okay? I, I'm just, I don't, okay, I don't know. I, we get awkward about it. People are dealing with grief. We don't know how to properly. Let me just, let's just move on. Let's just be really quiet. Okay, guys, quiet down. I know you're excited, but there's a funeral. Let's just kind of just move on. But that's not what Jesus does. He stops. He sees that there's this woman in particular. Everybody had to have been mourning a little bit, but this woman who has lost her only son, he stops and he shows compassion to her. I don't know if I often have that type of love. My love is not that sensitive often. In fact, I know that because um, you ever have a bad day, or excuse me, you ever have a great day 
and then you encounter somebody that's having a bad day, and it's just, it's just a buzzkill. I'm just going to tell you, like, my natural reaction when I'm treated rudely by somebody else, like maybe it's in line at the grocery store, somebody, you know, goes in front of you. You ever have that happen? I, my tendency is to, like, I want to let them know my dissatisfaction with them right now. Or, or, like, somebody cuts you off driving. I do what anybody else does, right? I drive up past them, I go in front of them, and then I slam on my brake. Nobody does that? Is that just me? But my, my tendency, I, I, don't, I don't do that much, but every now and then, my tendency is to retaliate. Like, I want you to know that I didn't like what you just did. Or maybe you're out to eat, you're celebrating somebody's birthday, or it's just, you know, most of the time when people go out to eat, it's a celebratory type mood, it's a good thing. If anything, it's just, I don't have to do dishes or clean up the floor, which is just stuff everywhere after kids eat. It's just kind of, it's a nice little break. Leave it for everybody else. I'll pay for it. It's great. And it's usually that type of mood when you go out to eat. But have you ever, uh, you know, interacted with a server who's not having a great day? And they're, maybe they just never have a great day. I don't know what it is, but they are off and they're rude to you. What's, what's your tendency, if you're just to be honest? Is it to, man, you know what? I'm going to tip them extra today just to give them a little pick me up. Maybe sometimes every once in a while you feel that, but most of the time, I'll just be honest with you, I feel like, dude, they're getting less, less of a tip today. This is not cool. They, I haven't had a drink in 30 minutes. They haven't refilled my soda. What in the world is going on? You know, that, that's the type, my dad has a famous move, and he doesn't, I don't think he means it as rude, but if it's a, taking a long time before he gets something to drink, like they, they just are oblivious to it, he'll actually like hold his cup up and look around like, does anybody see me? Right? And I'm like, Dad, seriously, just put it down. And he, I don't think he means it rude, but I'm like, is it? that's our tendency, I think, is that when we see somebody else who's, who's not having a good day and they, they maybe treat us not how we want to be treated, they don't smile and say hi to us, we want to, there's a part of us that wants to retaliate and let them know, I don't, that's not cool. I don't like that. But that's not, I don't know if I need to tell you this, but that's not the love of Christ. That's not how he loved people. In fact, the Bible says that he treated everybody as if they were better than him. And and the Bible instructs us to do that too in in Philippians 2, 3, that we are to treat others as better than ourselves. That means that when you encounter somebody who might just be having a bad day, it's to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe, just maybe, that they're going through something incredibly difficult that you have no clue. Odds are, most people you, you interact with are probably going through something very difficult. Sometimes it's on the lower end of the spectrum that it's just, you know, maybe they're having some, some job complications or some little just day-to-day type things. But sometimes it's somebody who's going through something like this woman here that has just lost her only son. I mean, can you imagine? In those days, you know, it would have been custom for, since she was a widow, for her children to take care of him, take care of her. And now her son, her only son, is gone. What's she going to do? And I think it's, it's challenging for us. What, what if we began to treat people like, like they're going through that? That's the type of love that Jesus had. He, he walked slowly through the crowds. He looked for opportunities to show the love, his love to those around him. 
The Bible says in Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's as if the God that we serve really is looking for those that are crushed in spirit and are brokenhearted. He's looking for opportunities to speak life into them. And in this scenario, it would have been easy for him to keep walking, but he's like, no, no, no. This lady needs to know how much I love her right now. Is our love like that? Is our love sensitive to the needs of those around us? Second thing we see here is that Jesus' love is now. Jesus' love is now. It's always right now. Let me, let me explain what I mean by this. Um, <clears throat> as, as you see in this story, it says, as they approached the village gate, they met a funeral procession. A woman's only son was being carried out for burial, and the mother was a widow. When Jesus saw her, his heart broke. I think that's very interesting that Jesus' heart broke for this woman. And the reason why is because um, Jesus was fully God and fully man, meaning that uh, he had something called foreknowledge that we don't have. Like, he, he could see what was going to happen before it ever happened. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And so any theologian would, would agree with, with me on this, that Jesus knew that he was about to heal this, or that he was about to raise this boy from the dead before it ever happened. And so as he's walking up to this funeral processional, he knows he's about to raise this boy from the dead. And yet the Bible goes out of its way to say that his heart broke for this woman. I'll just be honest with you, if I were, if, if I were Jesus, and again, that's, that's a pretty ridiculous statement, but if I was in his shoes, I, I, don't, I wouldn't be able to, to control myself. I'd be so excited. I'd be like, oh, I know, I know you're sad, but it's about to get so good. This is going to be awesome. And I don't think I would waste my time having my heart broken for this woman. You see it more clearly in another uh, passage of Scripture in John. I believe it's John chapter 11, where the, the story of Lazarus, where Lazarus dies. It's one of Jesus' best friends, and Jesus knows that he's about to raise him from the dead, and yet Scripture records that his, he weeps. Jesus wept. You guys, if in Sunday school, you had to memorize one verse. Uh, you'd always pick Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in all of Scripture, but that's a weird verse to me. Jesus wept. He knows it's about to be a happily ever after moment. He knows it's going to end well, Yet he genuinely feels, and Jesus doesn't waste emotion. God does not waste anything that's counter, that, that goes against his, his character altogether. It's not ever wasted. Why did Jesus cry? Why is, this, is Jesus' heart broken for this woman? And I don't know for sure, but I think I have a, a guess. I think it's because Jesus' love is always right now. He knows your past and he knows even your future and yet, he says, in spite of anything there, I'm, I'm going to choose to love you right here and right now. I can tell you, I don't think I'd be able to steward that type of information. If I knew, not, forget, forget the past stuff, but if I knew that in 10 years you were going to do me wrong, like 10, 10 years from now you were going to do something terrible to me, I could tell you, I'd stop liking you right now. I, I, 10 years out, I'd be like, I'd yeah, I'm going to sever a relationship. I know what you're going to do, and it's not good, and so I'm done. I don't even want to be around you. I can't. Jesus knows our future, and yet he says, I, I love you right now. I will weep for you right now. My heart will be broken for you right now. Even though I know the future, I have, a limited, I have an unlimited perspective that you don't have, I'm going to love you right here and right now. Why is that significant? Why is it significant that Jesus loves us right now. 
it's because he doesn't hang our past over our head and he doesn't hang our future over our head. It has nothing to do with his love for us, what we've done or what we will do or haven't done or won't do. He says, I love you right here and right now. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present help in trouble. His love is always right now. That's awesome. That's good news for us today. That's awesome news for us today. Third thing we see here is that Jesus' love is unconventional. Jesus' love is unconventional. He said to her, don't cry. Then he went over and touched the coffin. The pallbearer stopped. He said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead son sat up and began talking. I mean, can, can you imagine? Let's just take a time out right there. Can you imagine being a pallbearer in this funeral processional and and I mean, something starts moving around inside of there. I mean, that's what's going on here. Jesus presented him to his mother. Now, on, on the surface, Jesus does everything wrong in this story. I mean, just from my perspective, I'm like, if I was a part of, I know how it ends, but let's say I don't know how it ends, and I'm just a part of this story. Jesus does all the wrong things. I mean, he goes up to this woman who's in deep sorrow and grief, and he says, don't cry. I'd be thinking, easy for you to say. What, who, who are you? What, what's, why, why not cry? You don't say that to people at a funeral. You, it's healthy to let, let people cry. Then he, said, then he actually touches the coffin, which if some random dude just went and touched the coffin during a funeral processional, you'd probably slap his hand away. No, let's, let's get this guy out of here. This is not cool. And in those days, I mean, it was very much taboo because if, if uh, you know, if you touched a dead body or a coffin, it was very symbolic of being unclean and it would make you unclean. And so it just, you just don't touch. But he makes a point. I think it was very uh, intentional that he actually touched the coffin. And then he speaks to the dead body. Not like, you know, saying his last words to him like we would do maybe at a, at a funeral, like an open casket. Like, it's not that type of thing. He speaks. He commands the dead body to sit up. I mean, anybody in that crowd, I have to imagine, it doesn't record all the detail about what everybody else thought, but if I was there, I'd be like, this is not okay. Somebody get this man away. But I think it's symbolic of of how Jesus loves us. He loves us in a very unconventional way. He does not really care a whole lot about protocol and what you think, how how, how we think he should do things and this and that. He says, man, I love you and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that you know that I love you. It's the entire gospel is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that he stepped into the middle of a huge mess and said, I don't need it all cleaned up first. I don't need it all to be perfect for me. I just want to let you know that right now in the middle of your sin, I, I love you. I'd ask us the question, when's the last time our love for people broke protocol? When's the last time our love for people inconvenienced us? I'll I, be honest with you, I think so often I, I can, I'm guilty of this, that I, I care way too much about what people are going to think about me. <laughs> uh, I get really caught up in, well, I don't know if I should handle it that way. I don't want them to think I'm weird. I, want them, I get caught up in all that. We, we were out to eat just a couple weeks ago, and my four-year-old son, I mean, again, this is the benefit of... of being young, yes, you overreact to things, but you also don't really care about what other people think about you. I don't know if you noticed this, but we're out to eat, and, and he decides he wants to pray over the meal, and he just begins belting out a prayer. In fact, nobody asked him to pray. He just started 
dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Jesus, we love, you know, and he just goes on this thing. He said Jesus multiple times. I'm kind of looking around the restaurant and I, I see everybody kind of turning and they see, hear this little kid just yelling out Jesus, Jesus, praying over his meal. Some people are snickering a little bit. Others are not sure what to do with that. And my initial instinct was, Ben, just, you know, quiet down a little bit. And then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? It's okay. <laughs> Let it rip. It, you know, I, I, I don't suggest that we go around shouting our prayers in the middle of public places, but let's not be so concerned about what people think all the time. Let's, let's not, Jesus clearly did not care what people thought. I mean, he was just like, this woman needs a miracle right now. I'm going to step in and I can do something. I can show her love and I can do this miracle. And sometimes I think we need to have love like that, that, that we actually just say, I don't, I don't care about protocol. I know I know that I'm not supposed to pray with somebody at work. I know that I could maybe, you know, there's different company rules and stuff like that on that type of stuff. And I know it's a fine line and I'm their supervisor or whatever, but this person is hurting and they need somebody to show the love of Christ right now. And, and sometimes I think it's okay to say, I, I don't really care about protocol right now. <laughs> this person is hurting. That's the type of love that Jesus had. It's very unconventional. Fourth thing we see here in the scripture is that Jesus' love is unreciprocated. That's a big word even for me, Un unreciprocated. I can barely pronounce it. Jesus' love is unreciprocated. I think this is one of the most mysterious aspects of God's love is that it asks for nothing in return. I'll be honest with you, that is, that's difficult. It's very difficult for me to love unreciprocated. I don't even know, I, man, it's very difficult. Even, even if I saw somebody, let, let's say I, I wanted to buy a car for somebody because I saw a need in, in my, man, I just, I wanted to love this person and just buy them a car. I mean, that would be a, I think we'd all say, wow, that's such a selfless act. I mean, that's awesome. But can I tell you, just selfishly, that next time I see that person, if they're driving a different car, I'd probably be like, what happened to the car? I got you. Like, I want to make sure that you're driving, that they appreciate that gift. Or if I found out that they took the car, sold it, and bought video games, something crazy, like baseball cards and bubble gum, I'd probably be like, what? I, I think, you, can I get that money back? That's ridiculous. I'll give it to somebody else who appreciates it a little more. That's not how the love of Christ works at all. And I think it's very difficult for us to really understand because we have such a, a culture of love needs to be reciprocated. I mean, that's how we get married. I mean, it's, it's never a one-sided thing. It's, we both love each other. That's, it, it's this word in the, in the Greek language that most of the New Testament was written in. It's this word phileo. That's, that's an earthly love that I love you, you love me. We're a happy family with a big, great big hug and Barney, all that. Uh, I love you, you love me. There's a reciprocated love. That's how best friends, that's the type of love that the word phileo is used there. Marriage, it's a phileo uh, type of love, but that's not how God loves us. He does not phileo anybody. He agapes us, which is a different Greek word that is an unmerited, unearned, unreciprocated love that asks for nothing in return. That's the type of love that Jesus has for us. You see this in scripture all over the place because um, when Jesus does a miracle, he doesn't ask for anything in return. And in this, in this passage of scripture, he does a miracle. There's nothing this woman could ever do to pay him back. I mean, what are you going to do? She, he raised her son from the dead. You can't do anything to pay him back right there. 
But not only can you not do anything, he doesn't expect anything in return. He, that's not, his love is not contingent upon your action or inaction at all. Reminded of the story, um, it's the, the story where Jesus, it's another miracle where he heals 10 people that have leprosy, 10 lepers. He heals all 10 of them, and yet only one of them uh, says thank you. Only one of them comes back and is grateful for this miracle. Going back to that whole foreknowledge thing, I have to imagine Jesus, he knew that he was going to heal all 10 and that only one of them was going to be grateful, and yet he did it anyway. He said, I, it doesn't, that's not what it's about. They might not ever reciprocate that love. And when you really think, it's a crazy type of love that Jesus has for us. The Bible says that he healed everyone who was sick. Anyone who he came in contact with that needed to be healed, he healed them. He didn't just try to sort out, okay, only the ones that I know are going to act good. Are, I mean, he healed hands that would eventually hit. I mean, he healed eyes that would lust. And yet he did it anyway. He said, uh, it does, that's not what it's about for me. It's unreciprocated. And I think it's very important that as a Christ follower that, you, that we understand that there's nothing that we can do to earn God's love. And if anything that we get out of, out of uh, this sermon today, I just, that we would understand that God's love is a lot different than our love, that he agapes us. There is an unmerited, unearned, unreciprocated love. The last thing that we see in this story is that Jesus' love is life-changing. Jesus' love is life-changing. At the end of this story, I'm just going to reread it. It says, They all realized they were in a place of holy mystery, that God was at work among them. They were quietly worshipful and then noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back, looking to the needs of his people. The news of Jesus spread all through the country. Not only did this event change this boy's life, obviously. I mean, you were dead and now we're alive. That's a, that's a pretty big life-changing moment. It, it also changed the lives of everybody who encountered that miracle. Said that they were all quietly worshipful, noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back, looking at the needs of his people. The news of Jesus spread all through the country. When you experience the love of Christ, you can't help but it not only change your life, but to get the news out and change lives of everybody around you. That's, that's how the love of Christ works. It causes us to act. It may, our, our love has to be very active. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it says, God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. Again, in other words, our, our love must be active. It goes out and it looks for, for, for lives that need to experience this love. They need to know about this love. The question for us that's very challenging is, are other, are other people's lives changed because of my love? When's the last time that somebody's life was genuinely changed? Not, not strictly because of me, it's always because of God, but because I created an opportunity or I opened my mouth and, and spoke up in a, in a difficult circumstance. I, they're, they're going through a difficult time and my love was sensitive and I simply said, man, Jesus loves you more than anything and walked them through and, and was there for them. Well, when's the last time that, um, you know, I saw a need and, and met it? You know, that somebody, uh, maybe it was a financial thing and they, they needed, I mean, that, 
You know that the church is working when we hear about stories where people, they didn't just give to an offering. That's all awesome and good. But when they just simply see a need and just say, I'm going to just go meet it. I don't have to think about it a whole lot. That's what the Bible says to do, that we are to love one another just as Christ loved us. Our lives being changed because of my love. You know, the last, last thought here today is that um, one thing that I, I love about this story is that it's kind of, it's a foreshadowing type of story um, because we see, we see two only sons. We see the first son who was, who was dead but was destined to live. And we see another only son, Jesus, who was living but was destined to die. And it's this foreshadowing of, of Jesus literally taking this boy's place and saying, I'll die for you. I, I will give my life because I want you to experience life and love, and I want you to share. You better go around and tell everybody about it. I have to imagine this boy was pretty fired up about Jesus and telling everybody, you have no idea what happened. I mean, I can't imagine having that type of an encounter, how you could not tell others about it. It's a foreshadowing of what Jesus was about to do for all mankind, saying, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to die even though it's not earned, it's not merited, that's the way his love works. Not because we're good people. It's that verse, John three sixteen, that maybe we sometimes forget the significance of what that verse says because it's, it's just a common verse. It's one that everybody, but you most people in this room could, could rattle off right now. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that, and then this next word is what messes me up a little bit, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever, and that includes every single person in this room. It's not the people who clean up first. It's not the person, people who earned it or deserved it, because that's impossible. That whosoever, that, that includes every bad person that walked the face of this earth. He's crazy in love with. And the question for us today is just simply, will we accept that? He's going to love us no matter what, but there's an amazing thing that happens when we accept that as truth in our own lives. It is life-changing. You experience exactly what this boy experienced, that you were, you were once dead in your sin, and then you are risen and alive, and it will change your life. It will absolutely fundamentally, the Bible says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. My prayer for you today is that you would not leave this room without experiencing that love. For some of you, you've already accepted that love, but you just need a reminder. You just need to be reminded of how much God loves you. Maybe you're going through something real difficult right now. I just pray that you'd be reminded of how crazy in love God is with you. But if you've never accepted that love, if you've never begun that relationship with Christ, it's more than a religion. It's more than coming here and singing songs, and that's all good and fine, but it all is fundamentally flows out of a belief that Jesus died on the cross, rose, for, rose again for our sins. Will you accept that today?